This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem. And please jump online and go to YomTovMediaClub.com and join the club. I was thinking actually, uh, uh, Tuvia, tell, tell me what you think of this. Uh, I got someone from the staff here. Tuvia just made Aliyah. Mazel tov. <laughs> Tuvia from the staff of YomTovMedia.com made Aliyah. And uh, he, uh, on a one-way ticket, did you not officially do it or something? Or you're f- official. It's official. Yeah. So, um, well, now it is. So, anyway, the, uh, the look on your face is like, I didn't tell my parents. But um, it's nothing like making Aliyah without telling your parents. <laughs> anyway, um, so my idea was that the club members, we would uh, do every couple of weeks or once a month or something, we'd do a uh, uh, online, what do you call that thing where everyone's in a different box? It's a co- teleconference type thing. Zoom. What, Zoom? We do a Zoom meeting uh, for all the people in the club that they can do Q&A with me or we can choose a topic. You like that idea? Absolutely. That's a cool idea, I think, for everyone in the club. And we got to do something exclusive for these people. Anyway, that's, that's our plan. That's one plan, which is easy to pull off, right? I can do it on my phone, even. Okay, um, so today what we're going to talk about is uh, to distinguish certain things that a lot of people just never think about, and that is prophecy. Prophecy is something that a lot of people don't think about. It's also often misunderstood. Like, for example, if you're Gentile, you think anyone who was a great teacher in some kind of civilization, you call them a prophet. You know, like, for example, the Rastafarians have someone named uh, Sa. Hali, 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 Spelled with an I, like he's high. Anyway, their prophet was Hali Salasi. Yeah, and uh, and then the Christians, their prophet was was JC, and the Muslims' prophet was Muhammad, and and everybody. All you have to do is like start anything, and you're a prophet. Was he really? Bob Marley was for sure to refer to as prophet. A lot of people referred to as prophets. You know, all it means is like a movement came out of you. And so we really use that word loosely. Uh, but that is not the meaning of the word prophecy at all. Although it is the meaning of the prophecy in modern age, which is cool. If people want to use it, go ahead. But Jews do not use the word prophecy loosely at all. Um, in fact, in temple times, back when the temple was built, just give everyone a quick visual aid. Back in the temple times, there's the temple mount over there. Hey, Shlomo, I'm glad you're watching. Andrew Fine, what's up? Um, there's the there's the temple mount, and when that temple was uh, when that temple was up and running, when that temple was up and running, uh, there were prophecy schools in Israel. You went to prophecy school. In fact, this would have been. This course that I teach would have been the first level, where like you're coming in to like get the foundations of the whole, you know, deal. But then you'd move your way up to like Hebrew and like really understanding because you have to understand a lot about letters. If you're going to be hanging around prophet, prophetic experience, you got to know a lot. Meaning you got to know that an aleph isn't just an aleph. You know, yeah. an aleph's not just an aleph. An aleph. An olive is... 
that's our pen graveyard. And as easy as a shot as it looks, it's not that easy because the the ceiling uh, design. I only have a tiny little peak window there to get through. I, I'm actually quite proud of myself about the first one. Um, hey, welcome back. Shalom. I'm great. Thank God. Amazing. So a lot of people look at the olive and they don't realize that an olive is actually two yuds and above. But you got to know that if you're going to be hanging around prophecy. You know, the people who are getting prophecy have to understand the Hebrew letters very well. And they have to understand names of God very well. You have to be so learned in the, in the code of the Torah, not the, the actual letters of the Torah, but the, sorry, not the actual stories of the Torah. See, we as Jews, we like to know the story, what happened, what lessons can we learn from it. Like this week's Parsha is called Bahar, and it's all about the Shemitah cycle and the, the sabbatical years. And, and, but that's what we read. Kabbalists don't read that. Kabbalists don't read that. Kabbalists are reading a string of information. You want to hear something interesting? If, uh, if there was another planet out there in some other galaxy that has an Earth, I mean, it has their own Earth. So if we reached those people, they would either be before revelation of their Torah, or they'd be after the revelation of their Torah, or it could be they didn't even have to get a Torah. It could be they didn't even have to get it, because they figured it out. I mean, if you can figure things out, you don't need a Torah. But our planet obviously did not figure it out at all. I mean, ours, our planet was a disaster. Now, I think the reason why our planet was a disaster, by the way, is that when Adam and Eve blew it, and God reversed the settings to where, like, you know, instead of you seeing the letters in everything, like literally seeing God's letters in everything you look at was made of the letters. That's why, remember Adam names all the creatures? He names all the creatures. And, and then the Torah says, not only did he name them, but whatever name he gave them was their name. I mean, he was like, oh, he kept pinning the tail right on the donkey. He kept like nailing it. Why was he nailing it? How could he nail it? Because he could see the actual letters of the, of the thing he was naming. He was looking at the letters of it. Those letters were shooting through 231 permutations of Aleph, Bet, Aleph, Gimel, Aleph, Dalet, Bet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Bet, Dalet, Bet. Hey, it's an algorithm, 231 permu- uh, calculations there. And it moves its way down and, th- and weaves and weaves and weaves its way into physicality. And Adam was able to see all this. But when he ate from the fruit, which he was not supposed to do, when he ate from that fruit, God just f- reversed the settings and had, instead of you being able to see through it, everything turned opaque. And now God works through various things. I mean, God works through, for example, divine providence. All of us have funny stories of where we just should have died, but we didn't, because like some amazing thing happened. Like, remember I was surfing in uh, Santa Barbara in, in the wilderness. I was on a, you had to hike to get to the surf spot. It's the central coast of California. You had to hike to get to the surf spot. And, and uh, at one point, the trail was going alongside a fence on the cliff. So I have, I have about uh, 80 feet this way and a fence next to me with like a o- little oil uh, pump there for the, you know, whatever was going on over there. And I had to get around this fence and which at one point or two, the, um, the earth disappeared and I had to just jump to the next plot of earth and then to the next plot of earth. Anyway, I jumped to one of those little plots of earth and it just went down 80 feet. It just dropped straight down to the rocks below. And I managed, thank God, to get two fingers into that fence. 
which was amazing. And I'm hanging 80 feet over the rocks at the shore, and I'm holding my board, because no one's going to let go of their board. You know? I'm holding my board. I was going to drop the board if I couldn't do what I was about to do. And then I managed to swing my legs up to the next piece of land and then kind of push off the fence and get on there. And thank God I made it. But, but we all have these crazy stories. We have them in our cars sometimes, something really crazy happening. You're just like perfectly veered at that point. And even though you didn't see it, and then you see what you've just passed, you're like, oh my gosh, like, how did I just veer like that? I think like, God just saved my life. And, and anyway, we have all these ways that God pokes through creation. I'm sure every one of us, I forget my stories a lot, but every one of us could tell the most incredible synchronistic stories, sorry, stories of synchronicities that threaded themselves together, that God threaded together for us. And we, we forget a lot of these stories, but we, we've got them. All of us have them. Amazing stories of divine providence. So that's one of the ways God pokes through the system. Another big way, which we'll be talking about, is prophecy. Prophecy is totally just, like, the, meaning whatever the system's set up to, to filter out God so that there can be a world. And that's why, you notice the word for world in Hebrew? What's the word for world? Olam. Olam. What's the word for hidden in Hebrew? Olam. The word for world is olam, and the word for hidden is olam. They're the same root. Why? Because the only way God can create a world is by what? Hiding himself. Now, for those who are the deep thinkers here, this will be something interesting, is that for Gentiles, just a quick, this is just a little parenthetical thing. For Gentiles, their belief in God was always because they just didn't understand the world. So everywhere there's a question mark, they just say, oh, it's God. How do we, no one can understand these things. It's God. And then later when science came out, meaning we could actually describe details about the world, the more science could describe the details about the world, the less they were into God. Until they just said, well, we don't need God. We got science. God doesn't come to answer questions anymore because science answers those questions. That's the way Gentiles looked at... That's, their, that's the evolution of Gentiles' relationship with God. Judaism cuts right to the chase. The word world means hidden. So we already knew that everything about the physical world is just how God hides. And so if you tell me something scientific, maybe about, I don't know, the lunar cycle or... Or like, you know, something else about the solar system, for example. All we're seeing is the efficacy of the oilum, of the hiddenness. Meaning God hid himself into the most precise system ever. The more we learn science, the more we're blown away by God. The more we understand the oilam, the world, the more we understand about the incredible greatness of the, the hidden or the hider. God, the hidden one. And he's really hiding. And, and I've used this a lot, but I'll just say it again. Is imagine a king, because God, we call him a king, right? So imagine a king who wanted to, he was always jealous of his commoners, because he, you know, he never gets to be a commoner. He's the king. Everywhere he goes, everyone's like, you know, like, the king. So he felt jealous, so he finally came up with an idea that a makeup artist would, like, make him up, and, and uh, he would be, looking just like all the other people, and, and he had special, like, like clothes to wear that looked just like a commoner, and he goes out to his own party. He was throwing a party that day, 
And so the king goes out and mingles. You know, because the king doesn't show up for like two hours, so he got some time to mingle. And there he found, by the bar, you know, there was some drunkard cursing the king and saying what an idiot the king is. He's got his arm around the king. He's like, and the king, you know, holding a bottle of wine. And the king's an idiot. You know? <laughs> and the king's just like, huh? Yeah. And everyone else is like, yeah! And everyone's having a great time. He goes over to the food. They were d'oeuvres and stuff. He sees this guy just take a whole plate of hors d'oeuvres and just pours it right into his robe, like his big pocket. And then the, the, the silver spoon on the tray, it goes into king says to him, like, what are you doing? Eh, they got a lot more food where this came from. <laughs> what about the spoon? Hey, you think the king can't afford a new spoon? The king's like... <laughs> and other lewd conduct, and other just God knows what kind of language he was hearing. And... and uh, and he finally, one of his one of his advisors taps him on the shoulder and says, "King, you know, it's time. You gotta get out of all this stuff because you gotta greet your public." And King goes back, gets off all the makeup, gets on his robes, and gets on his crown. And he comes, and the trumpets play. All bow before the king. The king comes out, and everyone falls on their faces. And the drunkard by the bar stand, he gets up on one knee and says, Long live the king! And everyone yells, Long live the king! That's, how many of us is that us, us on Rosh Hashanah? How many of us are that fool on Rosh Hashanah? Singing Avina Malkano when we've been like, you know, you, can, you still got the shrimp sauce from the Vegas <laughs> smorgasbord, like, dripping off your chin. You know, like lipstick on your collar. Why are we like that? <laughs> well, Judaism is very into the intimacy of God, which we're not going to discuss today so much, but when you're intimate with God, like when you really get, the, like we spoke about yesterday, like that God didn't go to Home Depot to make this place. He made it out of himself. So when you get, when you realize the world's made of God, it's just a hit, just God hidden. See, see, this whole world are the garments of the king. These, this is his outfit. This, this world is the world that God wears. He's wearing this world. You're, you're part of the garments of the king. You've never been outside the king's garments. Everything is made of the, the garments, the levushim, the garments of the king. And, and so when you know you're living in the garments of the king, so, and we got a Torah, a prophecy that tells us when, what you can eat and what you can't eat, and you're intimate with God, so then suddenly the shrimp cocktail doesn't look that appetizing. And then nothing wrong with smelling it. I don't know if shrimp smells, but... Doesn't it shouldn't it? if it's good. Oh, great. It shouldn't if it's good, so you can't even smell it. You could smell it for others, like to make sure it's good for the Gentiles. Like, let me. It's for you, uh, Chris. So, anyway, the um, anyway, but that's about the intimacy of God. 
Now, back to prophecy. So God made the world quite opaque. Now, it could be that, imagine like we went with a team of people to another planet in another galaxy. I mean, there's galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxies. So, like, who knows, maybe God created, in every galaxy, there's one of these. In our galaxy, there's only one of these. But maybe in other galaxies, there's more. There's one of these in every galaxy. And so we go with a whole entourage of people, scientists and different people, to go meet these people. And we get on their planet, and they're either going to be before the giving of the Torah, they're going to be after the giving of the Torah, or maybe they haven't quite, or maybe they figured it out themselves so they don't need a Torah because they, like, figured out the whole God thing. Or maybe when their Adam and Eve moment happened, and they ate from the fruit, God set the settings less than ours. I mean, think how strong our settings are. You know, if you look at it, you guys notice when you're on a computer, you can set the settings, how much contrast between the letters and the, back, the background, the screen background. And you can, you can make it so that the, the screen brightens and starts to consume the letters a little bit. So Adam, when Adam and Eve, before they ate from the fruit, the contrast was very strong. They could see the letters. And when they ate from the fruit, God just changed the contrast settings to where you can't see the letters anymore. You don't see the Aleph in everything. You know, you can't see it. And that's where we live. But it could be this planet that we'd go see. The settings aren't as extreme as our settings. Because our settings are quite extreme. We're at, we're at like maximal free will. Because think about it, the looser the settings are, the, meaning the more, the more contrast between God and the world. Is that what I want to say? Yeah. The more... No, the opposite. The more you can see the letters, the more contrast between God and the, and the physical world. So if in that world, if God had looser settings, meaning there's more of the background floating in, more of God hidden is coming through, so then they wouldn't need a Torah. What do you need a Torah for? You're walking with God. And what's the point of the Torah? The whole point of the Torah is for, for people stuck inside When did the Torah, who knows when the Torah was given? 2448. You're 2448 after Adam ate from that fruit. 2448 years. It's easy to remember 2448. 2448 years later. The Torah, this prophecy called Torah, was just like, God just said, like, you poor people are never going to figure this out. So why don't I just give you a direct access to this world of spirit. What if I give you a direct access to the world of spirit? Would we be the only tribe in the world with a direct access to the world of spirit? What's your name? Agatha. Agatha? Yeah. Cool name. Wow. <laughs> Where'd you grow up? Australia. Australia. Yeah. Where in Australia? Byron Bay. Oh, you're a surfer? Uh, sometimes. It's usually too packed, but I do, I do surf. You know I surf? Yeah, sort of. I never got to surf Australia. Oh, that's nice. Maybe you'll bring me up to Byron Bay to speak to all the Jews <laughs> that aren't there. So, Agatha. Just Agatha, are the Jews the only tribe with, the, with access to the spirit world? Uh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not. In fact, you could almost say that every tribe in the world has access to the spirit world. But, Agatha, is there any other tribe with prophecy? 
uh, up down, meaning I know every tribe has a way to work their way up to spirit. Is there any tribe in the world that has up down where you don't have, you I mean you do have to work to become someone who can get it. But then boom from up down prophecy. And the answer, I'll, I can answer it for you. No. And I get to sit with tribal leaders. I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with myself because I'm, I'm supposed to be at a major forum in New York City in Manhattan with tribal leaders. And I'm supposed to be speaking on behalf of the, the prophetic tribe, Israel. And uh, I just, whatever, my tra- travel plans got different. So I have to decide whether I'm actually going to fly in to speak and fly right out. I mean, I do it for, I do it for our people. The question is, would I do it for a, uh, to sit on a panel, and speak on a panel? I don't know. Sit, what's that? Yeah, would I do it and sit on a panel of uh, tri- tribal leaders? A lot of Jews will watch it, and maybe they'll realize they're part of a tribe, and it's not just bagel locks and cream cheese, you know, which is what. Most Jews think Judaism is. Yeah, maybe I should do it. You know, maybe. I'm thinking about it. I gotta decide what to do. I haven't even let them know. <laughs> Anyone watching? Sorry, I didn't let you know yet. And I'm of course discussing this publicly, but I. I Isn't God revealing Himself to all the world so clearly? He's going to. You know, yesterday I saw the vision, and we've been shocked a little because they put this um, right now, we're having a little share about Eurovision. Yeah, they put a heart. They put a heart, and, and they, they call it love. But I see things that are opposite. That well, they use love as physicality. That's not... What that's what they are, use. Uh, uh, learning here, and it's so confusing, because everyone is worthwhile. All the people are worthwhile, and it's, and it's love. Yes, we love people. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it's the opposite of what I'm learning here. And sure. What I'm learning in, in Sfat. Yeah, they really misused, they really misused that. You've been living in Sfat? I'm, uh, oh my gosh, you are such a spiritual warrior. Oh my gosh. She's my student for like a long time. And, and I dis- she disappeared. And I wish I'd known, you probably told me, but I wish I'd known you were in Sfat. I'm in Sfat. I would have slept better. Who's getting married? No way. Ah, yeah, thank you. Does the Chabadnik live in Sfat? She's Chabadnik. She's uh, totally in this world. And now For you... For me, it's still a uh, struggle. struggle because I have so many friends uh, in the secular All your secular world. friends. And I'm yeah. connected to them. Sure. It's sure. very, very hard. Yeah, you yeah. could do it like my mom did. My mom, she stayed totally connected to all her friends. All, but totally connected, and but she didn't. She never compromised at all on her Judaism. Nothing. So when she got strong in her Judaism, she stayed totally connected to them. But totally, meaning she's going to all the events and Billy Bim Bab Bo Bab's bar mitzvah barbecue in the forest. Like my mother walked ten miles to get there, and on Independence Day I went to a meaning on Shabbos she had to walk. You know, like, what? On Independence Day I went to an Arab restaurant with the three of my friends, but they didn't uh, drink their anything. Exactly. You, you with them and you didn't eat the food. I didn't eat the food. I just drank something that I knew that is a uh, kosher. Okay, that is, uh, <coughs> 
it's very hard. Well, you're, you're Israeli. Israel's got so many issues with, with Judaism. And so, and it's amazing. Like, if you lived in Miami and you were doing this and your friends weren't doing this, <laughs> they'd just be like, great. You know, that's, wow, that's interesting. Isn't that exciting? You know, gee, I wonder what it's like to keep Shabbat. You know, in Israel, like, you just start taking a couple steps towards Judaism and your, your secular friends are just like, you're a traitor. You're a, you're a bogeted. You're in a cult. You're in the, all the, all the things. I mean, these kids, they can't... And you know what winds up happening is it winds up that they blame the person for aligning themselves with Judaism. They blame them for breaking up the families. It's their fault for breaking up the family. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? Like, you're the ones who broke things up here. You're the ones who broke everything up. And now, you, you're, now that I'm going to realign myself with with true, you know, like real alignment with tradition of our, our people, our ancestral heritage in our ancestral lands. Like, I'm going to realign our, myself with that, and you're going to tell me that I am breaking things up. It's the root of that, that it's so strong here of all places. That's a whole other class, and it makes everyone fume when I give it, because you, you're, you're going to have a different feeling about the state of Israel when you hear it. And you're gonna take your you're gonna take down your Ben Gurion poster. You're 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 gonna stop quoting Golda Meir all the time. You know, like you just you're gonna be too angry. And I only teach that on Yomat's mood anyway. Just kidding. <laughs> I do sometimes. sometimes. You know, all my friends were fighting for this country, so Yeah, and they've got their blood mixed in their blood's mixed in with the soil. So it's like so it's like it's not just philosoph- philosoph- philosophical argument here. This is like so so vol- it's volatile. It's like volcanic. It's uh, yeah. explosive. Very, very it's explosive. Crazy. People lost loved ones in the wars to fight for a secular nation, and like, and now you want to start messing around with with the tradition of Judaism. And like after what we went through to create a safe haven for the Jews. And then to put salt in all their wounds, you got the most observant people not even going to the army. Meaning the most observant people are like, like we're not sending our our little holy, you know, eighteen year old boys raised only in prophecy. Their whole lives have only been in the tribe of prophecy. And now you want us to send them to where? You know? And who's going to be in charge of them? And and who's going to who's telling them what to do? They don't. They won't send them. And and what a what a spit in the face! What a what a spit in the face to secular people who gave their lives for this land to tell them that you're not going to their army. In the name of God, in the name of God and Torah. How can you, you know. settle up this uh, conflict? I'm so confused with this uh, thing. So, so this confused. is, we already covered it. It's simple. Very simple. Um, you create a, you create a, 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 you create a state without Torah values and you give your blood for it. You are going to be, you are going to be a stick of dynamite around Torah values. You're just going to explode every time Torah values come up. Because you, you, you tried to create a mirage that Judaism doesn't, 
that that Israel doesn't need Torah. You know, it's like, like go tell a go tell a Gentile anywhere in the world that like the state of Israel thought they could create a state that doesn't need Judaism, that the Jews thought they could create a state that doesn't need Judaism. They, the Gentile would look at you like, why? <laughs> like, what's the big deal? Is there something so bad about Judaism? And they'd be like, ah, you don't understand. It'd be impossible to explain it to you. And then, but then you go to a Jew. You go to a Jew and tell a secular Jew that the state of Israel was built to specifically be not about Judaism. They'd have, no, they'd be like, come on, come on. There's nothing more Jewish than Israel. No, but then we would say, yes, let's, let's go. Let's say do it. Uh, Our state did this. It's the most inorganic unnatural thing that's probably ever been done in history. And it's going to have to meet itself in the mirror. You know, every time anyone does something that's unnatural, they're going to deal with that. You know, that's why the, one of the biggest suicide rates, for example, is, is uh, it, amongst the population of, of trans of, uh, people who had, what do you call that? when they Transgenders. Transgenders. When people have a transgender surgery, they're of the highest populations of suicide. But they're like, but they told them like, hey, you feel like you're the other gender, so you know, go for it, have the surgeries and do the hormones and and like go for it, and then they wind up killing themselves a year later, and they and they're um, meaning meaning you can't tr- you can't create you can't transgender the Jewish nation with some with a bunch of like Zionistic epitaphs and. Uh, and uh, and like lots of icons of Jewish stars on flags, you know, you you can't just like cover up three thousand three hundred and thirty years of of prophetic tradition with icons, you know, and and excitement, and and but the worst part about it is the blood that was spilled. In the name of this makes it that it's so volatile. It's just so volatile because they had to put their lives on the line for something that wasn't true. I mean, it was totally true because the Jews believe this is our ancestral land. So it was everything about it was true, but they didn't do it in the name of the truth. They did it in the name of, I don't know, a safe haven from the Holocaust. and You know, I mean, they had a lot of cultural reasons to do it. But everything that we do in our lives that are untrue, we got to face that. We got to face it. You know what it's like? It's like people who intermarry and live their lives happily ever after. You know, Jew marries a Gentile, and they live their lives happily ever after, you know, like, you know, like Jordan and, and Biffy, you know. And they, Jordan and, and Chrissy Cross, you know. And they live happily ever after, and their kids were bar mitzvah, and na 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 And then one day, you know, their, their kids, you know, Cindy goes to Israel on birthright, you know. And she goes to Israel on birthright, and she's in the old city, and someone asks, are you Jewish? And she's like, yes. And like, is your mother Jewish? And she's like, no. And they're like, you're not Jewish. And she's like, like, and I've watched this over and over again. I don't think a month goes by where I don't get to watch these, these, these little nightmares. And then the phone call home, and she's screaming and crying on the phone down at the hotel. And, and, and her mother's like, just come back to Beverly Hills where you're Jewish, you know, like you didn't have to go to Israel. But like every single person who intermarries, Israel's a time bomb for them. And you'll see they won't come. 
They won't come. And I feel so bad for the, the people who became, like, flew to Israel and became observant. You know, they, like, caught the, they caught the wave. The, they caught the Judaism wave in Israel. But their siblings didn't. And then their siblings married Gentiles. And you'll see all the siblings of married Jews come constantly to their family events in Israel. I mean, this person got married here, became observant, which means they wound up on the family plan of Israel. You know what the family plan is here? You plan to have a big family. Because there's not a lot of birth control. Okay? So there's like, there's a, it turns into a ton of simchas. There's just simcha after simcha after simcha. Well, guess what? All the siblings that married Jews are at all those simchas. And all the cousins are totally connected. All the ones that thought they could marry Christina, or she thought she could marry Jim, or whatever, they don't come. They just don't come. I know one case where the guy said, oh, I'll come when, when my, I'll come for, you know, Frankie's bar mitzvah. You know, so I'll be there in 13 years. You know, I'll be there in 13 years when Frankie's bar mitzvah. You want to know something? This is the 13th year, by the way, of someone I know with a kid named Frankie. What do you think? That bar mitzvah's in Israel or not? There's no bar mitzvah in Israel. And he never came back. This is a kid who came to visit his siblings in Israel. With, with all the other siblings, came for everything, till he married Christina. And never came back again because he can't come back again. Because we all have to live in the bed we make. And some things are just too potent. Some things are just too heavy. And one thing someone can't say is that, ev- listen carefully right now, is that everything I built is a house of cards. Because it's not based on truth. And this is exactly what is going on in the state of Israel, is that they built this, this mega country. I mean, this place is awesome. You know, the highways and the hospitals and the army and, the, and, the, and you know, the socialized medicine. I mean, that's the biggest blessing in the world. Socialized education. They, what an incredible blessing. Like, they built this gigantic thing, all based, meaning all in the foundations of quicksand. Quicksand. Quicksand's just all built on quicksand. And if somebody goes under the foundations and starts keeping Torah, like you, and you decide you're going to start keeping Torah, meaning Israelis, and this would never happen to American families, but if someone goes underneath and says, I'm keeping Shabbat now, I'm keeping kosher now, I'm going to pray now, you're just, you're all you're doing, well, you're exposing the quicksand underneath the whole system that everyone put all so much into. And this is why I, I'm constantly telling young people now, for the last 30 years, as I'm constantly telling young people, is build right. Build your house right. Make sure your foundations are clean. And this is why the foundation of our people, Passover, is spent eating flour and water. Crunch, 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 crunch. Flour and water. That's all you get on Pesach is matzah, flour and water. Why? Because the truest thing in the world, you take the most gorgeous challah, fluffy challah, and you sit on it, it becomes matzah, meaning, meaning it's full of air. And when you're talking about the foundations of something, it has to start with matzah. It's got to start with flour and water. This country was built on air. It was built on quicksand. Because it wasn't with the underpinnings of 3,330 years of tribal ancestral traditions. So what's going to happen? Yeah. 
really great stuff. It's going to be amazing. You guess what? Nothing's going to happen. Because when you're doing that, you constantly want to keep the eruption down. You want to keep it down. So, there, the, so the state of Israel just keep it down, keep it down, keep it down, and slowly go extinct. Because guess what the majority of children who were born this hour were? Observant or non-observant? This hour. We were together for an hour. This whole country is packed with births, 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 births. Who are all those births? Who are the majority of those births? Torah observant or non-Torah observant? They were Torah observant. And since the people keeping the charade going want to keep it down, they're just going to keep it down. And the births are going to happen, the births are going to happen, the births are going to happen, the births are going to happen. And after a while, you, everyone's going to look around and say, you know, Hava Nagila, Hava Nagila. Like, it's really, it's going to go silent. This is going to be a silent, beautiful, messianic era. And you're all going to watch it. It's going to be great. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.